Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. A sweet aroma that's in the air, a fragrance that's in the house today. You know, I was reading and preparing and Good to see you out in the lobby. It's pretty cool. It's a full house today. Love it. It should be on Easter. And just keep playing for a second, Mike. And Chad has a word of encouragement I want you to share in here in just a minute. But there's this, as you study the, the foundations of kind of when the resurrection happened, they wouldn't be privileged to gather freely like you and I are today when Jesus rose. They didn't want him to rise. They didn't like the insurrections that would take place following the weeks and months of Jesus, there was uproar, there was debate, there was just dumbfoundedness that even the religious leaders would say, how, how, how did we miss this, that we crucified the true Son of God? And you know, the early church, they would have this mantra that before they would begin a conversation, before they would sit and eat at a table, they would say this very phrase to one another. They would say, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And as that would be said, the person sitting next to them, the person they were communicating to, they would reply, truly, he is risen. And goosebumps would go up your back saying, I can't believe we live in this reality of resurrection. So I was thinking just for a moment as I was worshiping there, can we enter into some of these ancient pathways for just a moment? And I want to say, Christ is risen. And I want you to reply back to me with boldness, with a little bass in your voice, with a little authority. Truly, he is risen. And then I want us to rejoice, clap our hands, and thank the Lord that he is risen today. Are you guys ready? Christ is risen. Let's put our hands together and thank God that he is risen today. This is good news. This is good news. And I give you permission, if I slip a Christ is risen, you can shout back to me in the service. Let your inner Pentecostal out for just a moment and say, truly, he is risen. But Chad, if you would share what the Lord placed on your heart. It's a dangerous seat to be sitting in right there. I just wanted to share a thought process that I feel like God put me in this morning. Three days ago, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said three or four things. One of them that he said was, Father, why have you forsaken me? How many times in our life have we said that? Or life why have you forsaken me? Friend, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> when he said it was finished, you know, we, we, we go through life and it is what it is. We do our best and we are to be Christ-like. 
And I thought, how can I be Christ-like? How you can be Christ-like is to rise, to be risen. Because three days later, he arose. And he met where God wanted him to be, what he expected. He fulfilled the word. And God wants to fulfill the word in your life. So when you've been forsaken or you have forsaken someone else, rise above it and fulfill God's word in your life. If you feel comfortable, if you would just lift your hands for a moment. Let's just open up our minds and hearts as we open the word of God and it be nectar, nutrition, sustenance for us today. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that everything hinges on this day, the resurrection of Jesus. God, we ask that you fulfill the word in us today. You were the incarnate God-man, Jesus. You came to us in the flesh and you died, lived a perfect sinless life and died in our place. And as you died, you then rose again, conquering death by death. You went into the underworld, Colossians says, and you disarmed the principalities, the powers, the rulers, the darkness of this world and said, it is canceled. The enemy cannot touch you. That mercy now speaks for you. The blood of Jesus covers you. He absorbed our sin. He swallowed our sin. And now we live this life imaging Jesus, becoming like him more and more every day. God, let this not be an Easter Sunday like it was last year. But God, I pray as we reflect that we've seen your word fulfilled in some areas in our lives. And if we haven't, let it start today. So Jesus, we love you. Christ is risen. Truly. He is risen today. In Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said, amen. 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 Well, you can be seated. So thankful you're here and so thankful for what today means. And welcome if you're new here, if you're watching online. We had a wonderful Good Friday service. If you were at Good Friday, wave your hand at me. It was a great Friday for you. But you're here today and so thankful. You can't get to Sunday without Friday and understanding the significance. And in a quick recap, we talked about the pierced one that John specifically speaks of. None of the other gospels mention it, but he does. That Christ was pierced after his death and out of his side flowed blood and water. And this piercing was important because it was prophesied 400 years before in Zechariah, Zechariah 10, or Zechariah 12 to be specific. And it said that when you look upon the pierced one, you'll be saved from your sin, you'll be purified, you'll be cleansed. And I got to tell you today, as we look upon the pierced one today, who's risen from the grave, who has risen with holes in his hands, reminding us of the price that was paid that we never forget. And we're going to take communion at the end of service today because we're to never forget why he was pierced, why he died, why 
the nails, the Roman nails went through his hands and went through his feet. That the blood of Jesus is still speaking a better word today some 2,000 years later. Somebody say amen to that. It is the most powerful substance that we have that cleanses us, that washes us, and that heals us. So I pray today as we reflect on this good news that Christ is risen, he was pierced for purpose, and that the blood and the water that represents the cleansing power, the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit that came from his side is still flowing today to regenerate, to heal, and to save your life. So today I want to take a really a shift in our series. We've been in a series on the life of Jesus uh, some seven, eight weeks. And today we're going to take a kind of a, a new pivot into the resurrected life of Jesus. Because today everything with Jesus changes. And if you read the Gospels pre-resurrection, Jesus was letting the apostles know that this is what's going to happen in my life. But they didn't have the Holy Spirit, so they couldn't see it fully and couldn't recognize it. So right about today, everything that Jesus was teaching them and preparing them for, that word was now being fulfilled because they saw the fulfillment of what he was teaching them. Aren't you thankful on a side note, when Jesus begins to teach you something, that when you're patient in the process, when you trust him in it, that I don't know the time or the season when it will be fulfilled, but when he speaks it, it will happen. And if I can encourage you today, just like the apostles, be patient. Learn from Peter. And in the hour of when breakthrough is trying to come, don't deny him three times, but trust him in the darkest hours of your life because those are usually the places he works the best. We could go down a rabbit trail, but we'll, we'll keep it Easter-y today. But I want to do something, and I, and, I, and I pray today as it bless me and, and, and change me. We're going to open God's word, and we're going to look at how the resurrection is seen it's found, it's mentioned as early as the book of Genesis. That Christ can be found all through the Old Testament as early as what was created in the beginning. And we're going to scratch the surface today. But I believe you will never, from this day forward, you will never read the Genesis account without seeing the resurrection once you leave here today. You're welcome. I'll, I'll say that in advance. Because it'll completely change how you see this, as it, as it does me in so many places in the Old Testament. And as we make this pivot in our series, we're going to see how Christ fulfills and how he speaks and what he does. And what it looks like to live with the reality that the resurrection is real. That Jesus is alive. He's sitting today at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you, praying for you. And our beloved Pastor Joyce, this is our third Sunday without her is having an awesome Easter today. She had a great birthday last Sunday in glory. Now she's in celebrating the resurrection in glory today. And we love her, we miss her. But she leaves such a beautiful legacy and inheritance for all of us. And I honor her today. I love her. So thankful I get to, to preach the good news that she gave her life for. But I want you, if you brought your Bibles today, to open to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 specifically, and I want to walk you through very quickly. We're going to get to the port, uh, part of Genesis of where we see the resurrection mentioned. And then from there, this will be the catalyst. Pray you come back, pray you 
watch online and allow this rest of this series as we um, prepare for Pentecost. That'll be our next teaching on the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday, and we'll start a series there. But um, it's nice when you come to church on Easter, and it's not the end of something, but the beginning of something. Because Easter is not the end of something, it's the beginning of something. It's the fulfillment of something, but it starts something else. So um, today I believe you'll be blessed. But look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 in the New King James, if you put this up. You know the story, but it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed? Has God indeed? Underline indeed if you don't have it already. This is important. It says, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? I want to mention this word indeed to you because truth is being communicated here. When God speaks, how many of you know truth is speaking to us? Promise is speaking to us. A better word is being spoken to us. And so we see this word indeed, and by definition it means it's introducing a further, something further and something stronger. So when God says something, he really means it. Unlike you and I, when God says he loves you, he showed it in blood through the God-man, through Jesus, communicating that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that who believe in him, who put his, your trust in him, your faith in him, you'll be saved, you'll be healed, and have eternal life. We know this. But on the other hand, when you and I say we love someone, it doesn't carry as much weight. Because if you're saying you love someone with biblical worldview and biblical understanding, you're essentially saying, when I say I love you, I'm saying I'm willing to lay my life down for you. I'm willing to be long-suffering with you. I'm willing to not keep a record of wrong against you. I'm willing to be patient and kind. 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. This is what love really is. It's not tingly feelings. So when God says something, he really means it, and he put his money where his mouth was, sent his son, paid the price in blood so that you and I never forget. And when we take communion, it is a perpetual reminder of the sacrifice of what Jesus has done. So God is saying, you need to listen up right here. At this point, I'm communicating truth. You know, I love this about God too. I I wrote this down and how he really speaks to us. Is it simply this, when the heart connects with the tongue, we call that truth. What God speaks is deep and in his heart. And when we speak in a way, and when we speak this way with the heart, um, it should flow to our tongue. But many of us, we just speak with the tongue and not speak from a place of when it's in our heart. How many times do we sing a song in church or do we read a scripture and it's just hitting on one di- dimension? It's not flowing from the heart. And I could sense in the service today that there was a place of worship that was coming from the heart. And you begin to feel the Holy Spirit begin to deal with you, begin to convict you, begin to touch you. Last week I looked out and there was several men in tears as God was touching the place of the heart. Those weren't just words that were being sung. Something was happening at the place of the heart. And if I could say anything of the church we are and the church I pray we always are is that God deals with us on the level of the heart, not just the mind. I'm communicating a truth, but no, it is touching you because God indeed says, and when he indeed says, it comes from the heart 
to the tongue. This is how he does. And if we image him, this is how we're supposed to walk. See, here's the, the deficiency of religion. Religion causes us to quote things that our heart is not burning for. Think of it this way. We're all thankful for plumbing. Amen. For modern plumbing. We're thankful for plumbing, but we really don't care about plumbing. All we care about is when we turn our faucet on, that water comes out. See, many times we're more concerned with the system, the plumbing, but we don't care about the flow. And so religion focuses on the discipline, though we need the discipline, but we forsake the flow of what he's trying to do. This is why in John chapter 4, Jesus says there's coming a time when we're going to worship in spirit and what? Spirit and in truth. Think of it this way. The more you walk in the spirit, the more truthful your life becomes. And the more truthful your life becomes, hear this, the more the Holy Spirit is attracted to your life. Anybody want to live a life where the Holy Spirit is attracted to you? It comes walking in the truth. It works both ways. It goes hand in hand. And I pray today that what you sing, or we're all on a journey of what we're speaking and what we're saying, that it comes from a place of it is burning in my heart. And today, like a day like Easter, there's something different where it's almost as though literally the veil is torn and we're able just to um, reflect and glory and contemplate and adore and show affection to what Jesus has, means and what he's done in our lives. So we see this happening, God speaking, God doing. I indeed say he's speaking something very to the deepest core of creation and of humanity. Genesis 3 verse 2 says this. It says, And the woman said to the serpent, let me say this here. First problem we see is that Eve talks to the serpent when she could have been talking to the father. How many of us, when we are met with temptation, we talk to the wrong people, we talk to the wrong source, when the right source is always available? So the wrong source is being met here. And so the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, again, we see the engaging. The enemy knows if he can get you into some conversation, gets you engaging with him, he gets you. He don't stop talking. As long as you keep talking, you better believe he's going to have the next two, three, four steps ready to pull you in and pull you away. It says, the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die, for God knows that the day you eat, your eyes will be open. L listen to the folly and the fallacy of this. Is they were already like God. They were in his presence. They had dominion. They walked with him in the cool of the day. So the enemy is tempting them on a place that they are already fulfilled and already walking in because he didn't really have much on them. They already had everything they would ever need. But the enemy will always get you to believe the lie and, and dull and unsober your senses to where you think and sense that you don't have everything that you need. So the enemy is playing on their senses. He's, he's tempting them here. Verse six, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was what? It was pleasant to the eyes. 
you need to understand that the enemy loves to work through your eyes, loves to get you off focus, loves to get you distracted. And let me say this, as we said at Good Friday, the way we're going to reach a generation, the way we're going to see our children and our children's children walk in the fullness of what God has called them to is that they sense and they know a God that is irresistible. And if God has not become irresistible to you, he won't become irresistible in your home. He won't become irresistible to your kids, to your grandkids. That we've got to live in such a way where we're not bashing and trashing and thrashing everything out there, and it's misproportioned that the God we serve, is he irresistible? Does he have all of our affection? Are we walking and loving and serving? Are we sitting at his feet consistently and regularly? Because the minute, and what we're about to see, the minute you turn from the presence of God, you get really dumb. You start making really poor decisions. And then he knows if he can cut, cut you off at the source, he can then begin to deceive you. So you being here today, you being in the presence of God, you're at the source. You opening your word, you spending time and worship on the way to work, you're connecting into the source. Read John 15, we see the importance of how the vine and the branches and the great gardener and the great pruner. Jesus on the other side of resurrection, as Lisa read of Mary Magdalene's account, she had mistaken Jesus as a gardener. I'm telling you, if you want to know about the ministry of Jesus on the other side of the resurrection, he loves to garden your life. He loves to tend the soil of your life. He is a good gardener, a good shepherd. So he tempts Eve at the eyes. And then we see all the blame shifting begin to take place. This is Adam and Eve's first little fight. So it says, she gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves coverings. This was their grand big idea. We've sinned, we've messed up, so what do we do? We're just gonna go sew some fig leaves and cover ourselves up. I mean, when you really see the, the folly of, of their train of thought, when you sin, you usually start making poor decisions very quickly to try to cover things up, and it doesn't really do what you thought it would do. So there's this engagement. There's, in verse 7, shame and self-awareness shows up. They're, they're aware of their shame. They're self-aware. They begin trying to find a new identity in covering themselves. Know this today, you only find your true identity in him. And the enemy is always after that identity. You know, I think a lot of the times too, when we're at a place of insecurity in our, our identity, we begin just speaking things like, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we need to speak those things. Don't get me wrong, we speak the word. But if my son Daniel came up to me three times a day and said, I'm the son of Garrett. And he kept saying it. At some point, I would say, bud, you okay? You should know that I'm your father. And you know how Daniel would know that I'm his father as he lives in my home? And as he lives in my home, there's proximity to me. There's closeness to me. So you've got to understand the greatest reward in this life is proximity to Jesus. And the enemy is after to cut that proximity and to create as much enmity and distance as he can get between you and him. 
But the father, as we talked of last week in the prodigal, it's really not about the prodigal son. It's about the prodigal father who prodigal by definition means giving of excess of what they have. The father saw the son in the distance, ran after him uh, through a celebration, gave his best to say, my son has returned. He gave excess. So as we continue reading into the story, we see in verse 9 these powerful words that the Lord God called to Adam. And he said to him, or actually verse 8, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Isn't this amazing? This is a powerful verse. Let's say it again. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. What is the sound of God? What is the word of God? Who, rather, is the word of God? Right here, we see a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ. I mean, this is amazing. You can study this, and you can read deep into this. I'm going to give it to you here, but then you've got to go seek it out, because as you seek him, you'll find him, and I'm create some closeness between you and him. A good pastor doesn't give it all to you right here. Just scratches your, your thinking and then you've got to go seek it for yourself and you'll find him. So they see the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, again, hid themselves from the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? Sin always pushes you to hide from the presence of God where God is saying, I'm coming after you regardless you're going to see even in this Genesis account, God comes to them continually. He never walks away. It's us who walk away. He keeps coming to us. This is a beautiful gospel. So they hide themselves. In verse 9, it says, Then God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? He noticed there was a breaking of fellowship because they were in perfect fellowship. So in the breaking of this fellowship, God's heart senses not angry, not wrathful, not mad. He's saying, where's my son? Why isn't he here? This is where we talk. This is where we meet. This is where we walk. So God's heart is, is breaking because he knows that something has changed. Verse 10, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. See, the lie of the enemy is always to make you feel afraid of the voice of God. Because he knows if he can control you in fear, you will no longer have faith in it. And here come the excuses. Don't we give excuses? I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, well, who told you you were naked? Haven't you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? And here's where they have their little cute fight. It says, then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of that tree and I ate. And all the men said amen, right? <laughs> we won't go there today. It's Easter. <laughs> we want everyone to have a good car ride home. Verse 13, it said, The Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And look what the woman said. No one's taking responsibility. Well, it was the serpent that deceived me, and I ate. See the blame shifting? This is what sin does. We're constantly looking to put it on somebody else. So here's what's pronounced to the serpent. And here's where we see a picture of the resurrection. I want you to catch this, what I'm about to read. It's even known in church history as the pre-evangelion, which means the prototype to the real thing, the prototype to the gospel. So we see all the sin that's entered into the world. And you've got to understand Genesis 3 is all the pain all the cancer, every war, 
every debate, every debacle, it all starts from this ancestral original curse, this original sin. That's why the world is broken. That's why bad things happen to good people because we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world. And the, Jesus would teach that even, you know the scripture where he says, if, you, if your eye causes you to sin, do what? You gouge it out. Now, is he meaning literal there? No, he's talking allegory. That there should be a violent approach towards sin that when sin comes and, creeped, and creeps at your door, you cast it off and you're violent about it. You don't be mealy-mouthed about it. You confront sin with the presence, the goodness, and the power of God because the enemy's already defeated. He just wants you to believe that he's not. So we see the solution happen right here in the garden. This is amazing. Look what it says in verse 14, and then in 15, we'll see the picture of the gospel here. It says, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and, and you shall eat dust in all the days of your life. Verse 15, look what it says. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, and you have all caps up on the screen, but if you read your Bible, if you open it right now, you will see a capital S here. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her capital S seed. We're speaking much bigger here than just human flesh. We're speaking of what will become of the incarnate Christ, that Christ is being prophesied right here, that there's a seed that's coming. Look what he says. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Jesus shall bruise the enemy's head, crush the head of the enemy, but there'll be a bruising of his heel. Now, what's the, what is a bruise? It is internal bleeding. What happened on Calvary? Jesus was bruised Isaiah 53 says, for our iniquity. What is iniquity? It is inner sin. It is what we do inside the body. Why was he bruised for the inner sin of iniquity? Bruising is internal bleeding. You gotta see that no detail is left out here. So right here, we're seeing that the bruising of his heel is not defeat, but he will, through lowliness and humility, camouflage divinity and death and plunge into the underworld and defeat the enemy once and for all. We know this. They didn't know this. But the seed is being prophesied. Aren't you thankful that all the way in Genesis chapter 3, the seed is seen? This is amazing. And from this point forward, I'm actually going to show you a place in Genesis 1 that the seed is mentioned. So that there are no stones left unturned. Thank you, Jesus. That he shows us and he gives us a path out of our sin every step of the way. You go on and you read in, in Genesis 3, it says before he sends them out, we talked of this last week. He says that he goes and he kills an animal. Theologians will say it was a lamb. And he kills a lamb in the garden and he clothes them in the lamb skin. And that lamb skin would be covered in blood. So right there we see as well that the lamb of God is being applied. The blood of Jesus is prefigured, is seen not in its entirety, but the seed is being planted. Say amen. This is amazing. I want you to see in Genesis chapter one, you won't see this scripture the same anyways. I'm, I'm creating some love for the Old Testament for you. We could use that every step of the way, especially when we get into Leviticus and Numbers. 
And we need some help there. Look at Genesis 1, verse 9. This is the creation account. It says, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God, God saw that it was good. Amen. He loved creation. Verse 11 says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed. Somebody say seed. And the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed, somebody say seed, is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. See this in verse 13. When was the seed planted? So the evening and the morning were on the what day? The third day. What you need to see here. I wrote this down. God began prophesying of the perfect seed and that it would break the limitations of the grave and come out of the ground as the first fruits. Tony, you've got to go back and, and you study this, but you'll see that even in Genesis 1, the seed that will be buried into the ground will one day break the ground and cause first fruits. This is incredible. All the way in the beginning, we see the seed of Jesus that will one day break the ground on this day on Easter when the grave will eventually be forever conquered. We see this too in a place, I, I preached on this a few weeks ago, where in John chapter 12, we see that the Greeks wanted to talk to Jesus and they wanted to um, uh, spend some time with him. So his apostles went to Jesus, Philip specifically, you can go and read it, John twelve twenty six, and he says that, hey, these people wanna meet with you and talk with you. And the apostles in their finite minds um, were always knowing Jesus was going to set themselves, set him up and give him, them an answer, give them a parable, give them something that they're going to be leaving, scratching their heads. So this is one of those places. So they're like, Jesus, can you just say yes? Can you just say no? Do you have to give us a parable? They just want to talk to you. Can we keep it simple today? So that would be my thinking. But look at Jesus' response to the Greeks who wanted to meet him. But Jesus answered them, John 12, 23, I think you have it in the back. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour has not come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, hear this, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will produce much grain. So even here, Jesus is speaking of the seed that will go into the ground and will one day bear much fruit. But they couldn't see it. It wasn't its time. Because the Greeks would, Jesus knew that he couldn't reach them. It was to the Jew first, then to the Greek, but that couldn't happen until after the resurrection. If you didn't know here and you're visiting here, we love scripture, we love going deep, so hang in there with us. We're, gonna, we're one of those weird churches that preaches a lot of scripture. It's okay, though. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for preaching the Bible. You're going to watch this three times, and you're going to get it. <laughs> Took me three times to get it. So we see this beautiful gospel. We see that Jesus was spoken of from the very beginning. And, and why, why do I bring this out today, of all days? is because if you're questioning 
the accuracy, if you're questioning who Jesus is, how he works, what he does, what his plan is eternally, what his plan is for your life, there should be no reason for question. When you get into the depths of God's word of something that was prophesied centuries and centuries, millennia after millennia before, and came about in the very way it was prophesied. That's how spot on and correct God's word is. And if you can hear me today, the enemy wants to distract you, wants you to pull you from the presence so that you don't experience, so that you don't know him in his fullness. And today is the day where we reflect on where am I in my walk? Who is Jesus really to me? Is he really the son of God? Or am I a practical atheist as we talked of? I say one thing, but my life shows something completely different. That Jesus wants it all. That Jesus deserves it all. I want to take a moment. I want to invite our team and I want to prepare to take communion today. And as we prepare to take communion, I want you just to bow your head for a moment. And I want you just to think of what, where you're at in your life. When you see the enormity of the resurrection, has it really changed you? Are you walking in the reality or are you constantly being defeated by sin? Are you being, listening to the wrong voices, not being awakened to your real and true identity in Christ? There's a scripture I read this morning, Proverbs 14, 30. Hear this about sin. It says, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. If you don't allow the blood of Jesus, if you don't submit repent, release the sin nature, release the parts of you that you've been envy and bitterness, it says it will physically and literally rot your bones. See, Jesus is not in just the business of saying you are legally cleared, though you are. He's in the business. Salvation goes so much deeper to the place. He wants to heal you in every part. And he knows the place where sin has caused some rottenness, even possibly to the place of your bones. I don't know how long you've harbored something, how long you've allowed something to eat and chew and gnaw. But know today, because of the resurrection, the effects and the power of sin doesn't have to be the end of your story. That you can even today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, allow that Christ is risen, allow the fulfillment of his word, allow the seed that's been planted in you. Maybe you've had a praying grandmother. Y'all know I have. Maybe you've had someone who's interceded for you, who's believed for you, who's always seen the best in you when life has always seen the worst. The thing I know about Jesus is he is unrelenting. And he rose again, not just for the sake of we can become this better person, but he is in the business of taking dead things and bringing them to life. We read in the gospel reading this morning 
that it wasn't just Jesus who rose. The resurrection was so powerful that those in the tombs next to him, this is amazing, that they got some life back. That there were others walking around. That's how powerful the ripple effect of the resurrection is. And where I'm trying to get you today and what I want you to see as we get into this series, don't underestimate the power of what happened today. Because Jesus, who put on the crown of thorns, who allow his body to be broken, to be beaten. He wants you to know that every stripe was for your healing. As the crown pierced his brow, it was so you would put on the helmet of salvation. That every drop of blood that dripped from him had so much purpose and was full of so much love for you. If you would just under your breath, if you would just repent of your sin. Repentance brings refreshing and renewal today. Oh, Jesus, we repent of sin. I repent of my sin. I thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the seed that would crush the head of the enemy. And on this day, because he was bruised, we can be healed of iniquity. Our transgressions can be cleansed and made right. That there is power, as the old song says, there's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. We thank you that the grave didn't even know what it had swallowed. The grave thought it swallowed a mortal man, but it swallowed divinity, and divinity can't be contained by a grave. And as the church father said, he dazzled death with divinity. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you dazzle our death, that because of Jesus, he not only died for us, he died with us. He died in our place so that the sting of death is not our reality. The scripture says, from dust we will return. But our soul would put on incorruptibility, that our soul would not perish, that even hell was not created for us, it was created for fallen angels. But when we put our faith in Jesus, when we believe that he is the son of God and we give everything to follow him, we hold nothing back. And we live a life that says, Jesus, you are first place even in my brokenness, even in my weakness, even in my questioning, God, that we wouldn't turn from the presence of God because we're afraid and fall for the same lie that Adam and Eve did. But there's a seed that's crushed the head today. And I pray this every book of the Bible from cover to cover, from page to page, that we would see the seed. We would see the blood of Jesus in Hebrews 3 that speaks a better word. If you prepare the element, if you would take the body today. We've taken communion these 40 days, these services, and it's been so powerful. If you're new here, you haven't taken communion in a while. Communion, Jesus teaches us that we do this in remembrance of him. This is how close he is to you, his body and his blood. And he loves you so much. 
you know, Pastor Joyce, she would always speak of several services in her time in ministry when she experienced tangible healing in her body as she partook of the body and blood of Jesus. There's something powerful that can happen as we break his body together, as we remember his shed blood. If you lift the body up, it says that he was lifted up. We're doing that today in remembrance. And if you would just break the body if you haven't already. Jesus, we thank you. Your body was broken for us so that we wouldn't have to be broken and hopeless and helpless, but that the Spirit of God that is in our body, our temple, your temple, would bring hope, help, and healing. We take of his body and we do this in remembrance of him. Thank you, Jesus. As we take, as we prepare the blood. I love the song we sing this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. The blood has been applied. Mercy speaks for you. That sin has left a crimson stain, but because of the blood, he's made us white as snow today. That we live under the fount of his blood that continually pours out. I even pray right now that those of you who are here, maybe there's shame, there's guilt that's riddling you. And you would just allow the presence of Jesus and his blood to remind you, you are washed clean if you will surrender and if you will yield to him. This cross behind us is a reminder that Jesus' arms were stretched out in full surrender and full yielding to his father. That even at his moment of where it says that he, he sweated what looked like drops of blood. Some would say it was actual blood. That he was fighting and warring on our behalf. And he said, if there's a way, let it pass. But nevertheless, your will be done. Jesus, I don't know the circumstance that we're all in. I don't know the pain we're dealing with. But let us be reminded of your outstretched arms that as you lived a completely surrendered life, let us live a yielded life to the Father today. Oh, your arms were stretched out for purpose because we know we would need the outstretched arms of a loving Savior. As we lift the cup this morning, we thank you for this new covenant that was sealed in blood. We do this in remembrance of you today. In Jesus' name. One last thing and we're gonna sing. If everyone would just look me in the eyes for a moment. That's something to say. Christ is risen. There you go. You remembered. Well, I want you to stand. We're going to sing this song. You know it forever. He is glorified forever. He is lifted high. And after we sing, we'll speak the blessing and um, we'll take our offerings and we'll be dismissed.
Lift your hands one more time. Father, we thank you that as we worship a risen king, a risen savior, who from the beginning had all this planned out. Father, we thank you that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are, are not our thoughts. So as we lift our hands at this moment of worship, we surrender our lives at the altar. And we thank you that Jesus is higher, that he is lifted up over every guilty stain, over every mistake, over every sin, that his presence can fill our temple today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.